Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to 2024 and Nightmare on Film Street, the horror movie podcast for the casually obsessed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we're here today to talk about some more apocalypses. We're talking about David Cronenberg's Stephen King's The Dead Zone. Stephen King's the one that gets the name above the title on this one. But yeah, New Year, same apocalyptic nightmare. I really liked the wintry vibe of this as well. It felt fitting for, for, you know, the end of the world and also January. I had a theory about the winter setting of this movie, though. Like you have a theory. Yeah, I mean, let's just get right into it. Okay. Uh, uh, just This, this is not going to be like a nugget. Predictions. Dead zone. It's not going to be like a 30-minute chunk of conversation in the podcast. You say that. <laughs> but while we were watching it, I couldn't help but think that setting this movie in the winter made the chances of him shaking hands with people's actual bare hands a lot less likely. Oh. Because, you know, if you haven't seen The Dead Zone, it's a it's about a person who can see the future, um, each person's specific future when he shakes their hand. And if everybody's got gloves on, he can shake hands all he wants and he doesn't have to worry about getting all those intrusive thoughts. You know, I'm never surprised about snow in David Cronenberg movies because he shoots in Canada and snow is pretty much the given for at least six months out of the year. Good luck trying to get away from it. Yeah, whenever he shoots in Ontario or Montreal, there's a likelihood it's going to be snow. Yeah, and you're not a $500 million budget movie you're going to get pushed into one of the months where there's still snow, so you better just fucking work around it. Eh, it's a great vibe. It's, it's got a small Christmassy vibe. It's got a winter vibe. It's perfect for this time of year. Mostly because we're all making plans and predictions for how things are going to go, and this is somewhere deep in the back of your head. You got a feeling that it's not going to be good, and that's exactly what this movie's tapping into. Before we get into it, though, Kim, for anybody who hasn't seen The Dead Zone... What are three good things? First good thing, I think, is probably, you know, like a total given. Christopher Walken, he is fantastic in everything he's in, and, and he is kind of a very interesting actor because he's usually like a quirky side character because a lot of people, like, I, I think it, it's a hard to place him. Mm. But I love that he gets to be the lead in this, but also like a romantic lead. He's got a love interest and he's a very interesting human being. We get to see him in his normal life before he has like the psychic experience. And I love that version of him. I love him with his, you just his, nerdy, with his hair. nerdy hair <laughs> and his like little teacher job and his girlfriend who really likes him and his cute parents. I just 
I, I think it's a very nice story. Okay. I was going to say Christopher Walken on fire, but I guess we'll just stick with flat out Christopher Walken's in this. He's you on fire? Where it. is he on fire? Oh, Chris- yeah, he is on fire in his vision. One of the best visions of this movie. Maybe maybe that's good thing number two, is that we get multiple visions of death. Just like really haunting moments where he sees people's specific tragedies. Uh, and, you know, the, the hope is that he can help avoid it. But it, it is also fun just to watch Christopher Walken go, ah! you know, just like immediately like he's been shot with a lightning bolt reacting to these horrors. And the way he reveals it is he's got terrible bedside manner. Instead of being like, I had a prediction, your daughter is in a fire in your house right now. He's like, your daughter's on fire. Your daughter's on fire. <laughs> he's screaming. She's screaming. I think he's still trying to process this. I think it's it's all coming at him real fast. Well, some decorum might help. <laughs> it's an emergency. We gotta just get the She's we gotta screaming. get the message out. <laughs> you know, we're probably gonna talk about Niagara Falls a lot in this, so I might as well just do for good thing number three. <laughs> there is a setting in this film that is a real haunted place. Uh, it's called the Screaming Tunnel. It's a big. There's more than one haunted place in this movie. Okay, but it's a big. It's a big visual for the film. A lot of um, a lot of like the poster and mainly what you remember is like that huge wet looking stone tunnel and it's it's a great one it's a great set for a film but the fact that it's actually like this alleged haunted place i think is really cool yeah you can go visit it it's in niagara on the lake which is just outside of niagara falls in canada it's wine country there's plenty of good reasons to come visit and yes it's called the screaming tunnel in real life that's what we call it and it is totally haunted it's one of the earliest settling points in canadian history so there's been a lot of fun death there. <laughs> yeah, like uh, America burned down a lot of it during the War of 1812, and they built it back, and it's got a lot of history. It's Every got yeah, there's a, lots there's of a, ghosts. <laughs> there's a couple bars that have their own specific ghosts. Uh, we've talked about a couple of them on the podcast before in the past, but yeah, if you wanna if you wanna go check out like Canada's New England, it's Niagara on the Lake. Also, that gazebo from the film is there. the The film gifted it to the town of Niagara, yeah. and it's. You know, like, it's a an attraction now. People go and, you know, get engaged on that murder gazebo and, like, take oh, isn't photos that the best? there. I love seeing those photos <laughs> pop up because I'm just like, oh, that's where that girl got stabbed to death with that pair of scissors <laughs> in that David Cronenberg movie. You can go on ghost walks all around Niagara on the lake and they will bring you to the gazebo. No, like, try- this isn't haunted, but it's a pretty cool spot. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> There's no ghost story attached to it. Like, that, that movie's pretty haunting. Right. <laughs> Punches up every tourist trap. Those are just three good things about the dead zone. Um, it's probably inadvertently, I think, the the umbrella of good things, if you haven't seen it, is that it's based on a story by Stephen King and it's directed by David Cronenberg. It came out the same year that Videodrome came out, so if you want to see this guy at work. It's also got an incredible score. Love the score in this movie. I listen to it all the time, actually. But we're going to throw it to the trailer, and when we get back... We're going to get into all the apocalyptic nightmares of the Dead Zone. If the future were in your hands, Taurus is screaming. The house is burning. Would you change it? It's not too late. Touch this man's hand, and you are in the grip of the dead zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. Johnny Lake! 
with a power that alters the future lives of those you love. You want to kill your own son? I want you out of here. I'm scared, Dad. Or of those you fear. I have had a vision that I am going to be president of the United States someday, and nobody... I mean, nobody! ...gonna stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me? You're a devil. Who are you? Who sent you? I'm scared, sir. What's happening to me? We're gonna get married, Johnny. Don't leave me, please. Didn't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, I can change it. scanning a screen and you'll go down in history with me i saw his face i stood there i did nothing stephen king the dead zone the dead zone is currently sitting at 7.2 out of 10 on imdb and 89% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 77%, which is pretty much in line with the 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. That's that's pretty good ratings, I would say. I was surprised how much I liked this. It's been a while since you've seen it? Yeah, and I kind of remembered it as almost like a made-for-TV type movie, and it's a lot bigger than I remember it being. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I think I've almost exclusively seen this movie on TV with commercial breaks, yeah. Maybe that's why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They really cut out some of the best parts of it, but it also just, like every TV movie, stretches it into feeling like it's eight hours long. Well, and the plot of this movie is very interesting. You can definitely tell that it was a book and a Stephen King book that's likely several hundred pages because it the pace is definitely by the beat of its own drum. Oh, it's three seasons of television. It is three, it, yeah. The, the actual, like, main predicament Last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. We're going on side missions the whole movie. We have whole arcs with different people. In a, like a regular movie today, it w- the, all of the storylines we have where he's discovering his capabilities, trying to fight for romance, stopping a small town serial killer, and then also a politician who's going to blow up the whole world, that would all be happening concurrently. When they solved the serial killer murder, the same scenes that they were trying to, I was like, where is the rest of the movie going? I'm like, oh right, the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> That's what we're here for. That's my favorite thing about the movie, though. Like, truly, and it, it was hard to not make this one of the good things, but like, you wouldn't put it on a poster and be like, oh, this movie's got such an interesting narrative structure. <laughs> You'd this never movie say does that. lots of things. <laughs> yeah, in, a, in a typical movie, we've we've got to have, like, we've we, everything's got to be working toward that bing, bang, boom, finish, finish, right? Like, we've got so many beats that we have to hit, and this movie has peaks, and then it comes back down, and then we get another peak, and I think that's because the real the story is in the repercussions of John John Christopher Watkins character using and telling people about these visions that he has you know like it's it's every single interaction that he has where he sees something in a person and explains it to them every single one of them is a really interesting situation where that power has been used and each of them I'd say more interesting as the movie goes on. Some of them are tiny and small, but it fucks up pretty much everybody's world. And 
in some way we get to bigger and bigger consequences with each of them, despite that the story kind of like takes a bit of a pause and just like settles back in because he, he kind of abandons the ability that he has for a little while. Yeah, well, and I think that's that's it too is that it's a it's a character study of, of all things and it's it's a tragedy, but it's like a self-aware tragedy. And I think the whole point of the movie is uh, Johnny, Christopher Walken's character, coming to terms with the fact that he is a tragic character mm. and that it will never end well for him. No. And it's just him kind of, you know, the the stages of grief, like avoiding that, uh, trying to prevent that by not using his gift and then ultimately sacrificing himself for the greater good because right. that's just the, the cards he's been dealt. Yeah. And, and the- you really get that through the romantic relationship because it oh. is complicated and damned from the from the from the moment he goes in that coma it's like his life goes on a different trajectory regardless of the psychic abilities that's interesting talk to me a little bit more about the beats of the relationship i feel like i'm on an interview table like tell me a little more about that let's get into this a little bit because in my mind the beats that really sell the tragedy of johnny is in his interactions with his doctor the doctor who's been looking over him while he's been in the coma who is the first person to sort of witness and experience? I love the doctor. He's such a good man. Yeah, but he he like he comes back a couple times throughout the movie to check in with Johnny, and it's kind of like the conversations we have with him sort of delve into like the philosophical implications of Johnny's ability to see the past and the present and the future. And there's there's two key moments there where one he shakes the doctor's hand after coming out of the coma, and he sees rather than seeing a tragedy that's going to happen in his in his life. He sees a tragedy that's already happened. He sees his mother giving up the doctor as a young boy. She puts him on a cart that's headed out of, like, war-torn Germany or war-torn Poland uh, where she's rescuing him from the Nazis. He's gone his entire life thinking that she's dead. She died in an air raid. But Johnny knows that she's alive. He has her fucking address. He knows where she lives. And the doctor reaches out to her but he can't talk to her on the phone because he says that it was never meant to be. Like, this is, like, this isn't something, I'm not, I was never supposed to know that she's alive and she was never supposed to know that I'm still alive. Like, that's just, it wasn't in the cards. Like, that's super poetic for a book and a film, but then you're also just like, fucking dog door, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just talk to her. Yeah, say hi. <laughs> you can't tell me you don't want, well, how is that gonna fuck up your lives? On, on the other hand. Like, how noble of you, but fucking talk to her. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's got to be near the end of her life, too, right? Like, maybe it would make her sad that she didn't do more to try and find her son. I mean, she's, obviously, she'll be, she'd be happy that he survived and all, but, like, I guess it would fuck up your whole life. The way, and, like, this ability that Johnny has fucks up so many people's lives. The other, the other really cool conversation is after, after Johnny has sort of got the impression that this politician in town, played by Martin Sheen, who is just fucking killing it in this movie. He has psychopath eyes. Oh, in, yeah. Like, he is nailing it. He's just nailing that stone cold, I'm smiling, but there's nothing warm in here. Oh, man, he's a hollow person. He's great. Johnny, I don't think at this point Johnny truly knows that he is a super bad guy, but he has the impression that he's he's the kind of person that could tear this country apart. I just think he doesn't give a fuck. He's not involved in politics. He just doesn't care. He doesn't deal with fake people. Like He's just like, eh, it's not my thing. But the, the second conversation that he has with the doctor uh, is about Hitler. And he says, like, hey, you know, if you knew what Hitler was going to do before he had done it, do you have a right 
you're like, are you obligated to kill him and stop him? And the doctor has this, like, well, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to not do this justice whatsoever, but like, nope. he has an incredible reaction where he's like, well, you know, as a doctor, I have a responsibility and I've taken an oath to cause as little pain and suffering as possible and to help as many people as I can. And so, yeah, I would kill the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm obligated to kill this I mean, bastard. to be fair, he's doing the, you know, like the train analogy where it's like, would you uh, run over three people or ten people, but you have to conduct the train. Like, you have to turn uh, the dial for which track it goes down. Yeah. Actually, something really funny is that ChatGPT refuses to answer that question. Oh, does it? <laughs> yeah, it really does not like that question. It's That's like great. I am, uh, I am an AI, whatever, and I will not be making these <laughs> like these. Uh, there's no correct answer. Yeah, but that is essentially what he's asking: like, kill the worst man in the world and, and become a murderer, or do nothing, and then a lot of people are going to die. Yeah, and I think I think in the scenario where he's he's. Uh, proposing this, Hitler is already a political figure because he even says like, well, there'd be no chance for you to survive, to get out alive. And the doctor says like, doesn't matter. You got to do what you got to do. Like it's, it would be worth it. Even if you go down in history as just like this crazed lunatic uh, and you die because of it, it's totally worth it, which is such an interesting thing because then it's all in your head. You're the only person who knows that you did anything good. Right. And, those those are the two big conversations that lead Johnny down his path. Like I think he's reluctant to use his abilities, and like he can he sees the damage that it causes, and it seems like it's painful for him too. Like he has to watch a lot of he has to see firsthand, like he's there in the room, see a lot of horrible shit, mm-hmm. and just deliver nothing but bad news to people. And then at the end of it, now he's also and they're not grateful for it. Like, no, they're haunted by it. Yeah, like particularly the one I think that really resonates with that is once he moves away, he's kind of gotten back tutoring. He's trying to kind of build himself a normal life post the incident. He's working with a man who's and tutoring his son, and they seem to have a good relationship. Like it's the first kind of professional relationship he's had in a while with this man. Yeah. Um. And then he sees a vision that his his son's starting up like you know like a casual hockey team. They're playing out on the pond, and the the ice isn't solid enough. They break through, and a bunch of kids drown. And he scares the fuck out of him by telling him this, and he doesn't believe him. But he scares the son enough that the son refuses to go. Mm-hmm. Um. But the dad who signed up to be the coach of this team goes and two boys drown on his watch and it's it's an irreparable thing because um this crazy thing happened i didn't believe you but it was crazy like nobody would have but also now i'm even more guilty because i was forewarned about it yeah that's so complicated oh yeah there's an added layer too there where he agrees not to take his kid to the skating rink to go play hockey and then mainly just to get Christopher walking off his back. Exactly. A hundred percent to get Christopher walking off his back. Cause as soon as he's gone, he goes back to his son and says, come on, kid, let's go. Let's go play some hockey. I was just joking around. I was just telling him what he wanted to hear, but like, come on, don't you want to go have fun? And I think that's probably what fucks this guy up so much. Like, obviously he has the death of like two kids on, uh, you know, under his belt, you know, yeah, he's got he to deal with that. He would have killed his son. He would have killed his son and it would have been purely his own choice and it's even after getting the warning he still wanted to go do it he still was like ah fuck that guy that i i know better and then kids died so how do you go on the rest of your life making any decisions 
at all without being crippled by the thought that the, your next move could kill your kid. And I, I've heard a lot of parents have to deal with this at a, at, a, at a critical point in their kids' lives where they have to just make peace with the fact that I'm going to make the best decision at the time and, like, an outcome might be unpredictable, but it wasn't... It wasn't it wasn't my fault specifically that my kid got hurt. It's I was just, you know, life, life is chaos and anything could happen. You have to just go moment by moment cuz that guy I get the impression that he's just now he's just paralyzed at home. Like obviously he's like grief-stricken that he's he's caused the death of these other kids. He almost killed his own son, but like how do you make how do you how do you do anything after finding that out? Yeah, no, it, it 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 is so complicated, and it, and it puts such a weird paradox in, into like everyone's lives mm-hmm. because the first instance we find out he saves a girl. It's the fire. He sees it happen. He scares the fuck out of the nurse, so she runs home, and her daughter is saved. Yeah, but then his ability is publicized. They they have a press conference at the hospital, and he this touches was his idea too. He touches a reporter's hand, and he knows that the reporter's sister committed suicide. Like. People don't react well to having predictions told about them. I think it's because you would never believe that it's true. You're like, oh, this is just a coincidence. Like, you had some nightmare, the nurse got scared, and she coincidentally also had a fire happening at her house. Like, that's just pure coincidence, but a great story. We all love stories. Human beings, we're, we're addicted to narrative, you know? Like, ooh, like, and they're all reporters. Ooh, gotta follow that story. Like, that's the whole idea. Um, but once people realize that this is a true ability that he has, it's awful. Because you're gripped by your own mortality. Like, you're reminded that you are going to die. There's nothing you can do to escape it. We all just have to go day by day not thinking about our own death. Otherwise, we would do nothing. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then there's this this figure walking around that could very well know it about you by accidentally bumping into you at the coffee shop. Yeah. And you you would you would think that you're happy to hear that. Like, oh good, this guy, if I just make friends with this guy, he could always tell me what to avoid and what not to do. But in reality, you would just you would only be reminded that you're gonna be dying soon. Or like, at any minute. Every time you see him, yeah. you would resent that man so so deeply. Well, and there's also like the other the other side of the coin is the there's a spectacle about it because Tom Skerritt, who's the down home country sheriff of Crystal Crystal Rock Crystal Castle Rock Castle Rock of Niagara on the Lake, yes, he doesn't necessarily believe in it, but he's been trying to f- stop this active serial killer, and he's willing to try anything. Mm-hmm. But just involving Johnny, just involving Christopher Walken in it, creates a spectacle around it. Now, like, the press are following around. They're mm-hmm. trying to get photos of Johnny, you know, like, trying to get a sense of who the killer is. And, and it, it just creates this added layer of entertainment. Mm, yeah. But journalism could twist that in so many ways. Like, oh, the the police really have nothing. They're they're leaning on psychics. They're, right, you know, exactly. Like, like, it's not. It's definitely not doing him any favors. But he's like, if if I'll take a hit and look like a fucking idiot, if it means that I catch this killer, and surprise, surprise, we get him right fucking quick as soon as Christopher Walken's on the scene. <laughs> they go to a. They, they're looking for the first body. They're looking at the last crime scene where they found somebody. Which is the cool tunnel. Which is the cool-ass screaming tunnel. It looks so great, Just such a good film location. Right? And surely it's because David Cronenberg had been there before, you know? I'd be amazed if he hadn't. Uh, It's a walking trail that you can go on. Nowadays, it also leads to an outlet mall, which is fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you want to go get some like cheap Converse, some Bed Bath and Beyond? There's always a Tommy Hilfiger store at every outlet mall. Uh, right after getting haunted, there's uh, there's a bunch of fun little like pop up grave sites that people have put. You know, just like it looks like Halloween decorations that somebody left behind. You know, <laughs> graffiti, dolls, everything that look makes the place look a little extra spooky. They have the city has not taken away yet. But yeah, the image of them in that tunnel is great. It looks like something from film noir. It's super haunting. He can't get enough of a sense of who the serial killer was just based on like a pack of cigarettes well, that he it, touched. His his thing is human contact, and they don't yeah. have a human to contact, uh-huh. so they're they're using evidence, and it doesn't work. But while they're there, they get a phone call that they've found another body, and it's in a gazebo by the lake. And when they're there, he is able to... St- to put his hands on this this you know this this corpse they've found and he's able to see the entire murder and it is it is edited so fucking well. They do such a good job cutting from present time while Christopher Walken is having the visions and then him being transported literally into the visions. Like yeah. there's so many great shots of, of like we'll look down on him in the gazebo with the police officers and then we'll cut to a different vantage point and we're in the vision. Yeah. It's just cut so well. Sometimes it's not even cut. Sometimes it's just camera movements, right? Like we move the camera and suddenly everybody's gone. Like we had the uh, ambience of the people People around us, but when we move, it disappears, and like, bam! Now all of a sudden, it's like daylight. Or we're in the scene, we're in the murder scene, and then the camera pulls out, and you see Christopher Walken standing there watching it. Yeah, and th- that that one in particular is great because it's a long shot where, or it's like a, a long tracking shot, like a big long one take. Where at first, like we we do see the position where Christopher Walken is standing, and he's not there, and the camera moves, which blocks that spot, and when it pulls back out, he's back. It's like it's obviously just like he's ducking behind something and then <laughs> popping back up, but you know your brain doesn't your brain doesn't realize it while you're watching it and it's it's like a magic trick a lot of the visions are like that uh like obviously i want to talk about that death again but like while we're here the visions are truly one of the best parts when he is seeing the kid drowning under ice from that hockey rink the cut there is truly one of my favorites because he's he's clutching this kid by the shoulders in his house and then it's like snap cut we're under the water and we don't see Christopher walking but we do see that there are two hands holding this kid by the shoulders and like that's impossible when you're underwater it doesn't make any sense but it's the exact same position and moment that we're having in the hallway of his house i mean you would do nowadays if you were doing this movie it would be more like um like an Ari Aster cut, like Hereditary, where all of a sudden it's just like, you know, it was nighttime, bam, now it's day. Like, we're somewhere else, everything's in the exact same, you know, setup. It would look a little cleaner and flashier, but like, I don't know, there's something about, something about how it's cut in this movie feels like how Christopher Walken is experiencing it, in a way. Because, yes, because you're it, really given perspective with it. Because he's not, it's not that all of a sudden Christopher Walken's gone and he's exploring this other world this past or this future it's that he's in both places at the same time and like that's what really fucks him up about all of it yeah because he's in a bed on fire i was gonna say this <laughs> i was gonna say this that is truly one of the best ones and then he's, he's in his hospital bed waking up from a five-year coma <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's in in that fire sequence he's still in his hospital bed um when he's in the girl's bedroom and, th- and then the next time we go in he's in the girl's bed which is on fire that one's fun because before we get into the fire sequence, he's just in his hospital bed and he's sweating. He's like, oh, God, it was just so hot. I'm having an awful nightmare. And this nurse is trying to dab him off. And that's where he like wakes up and grabs her wrist and he can suddenly see what's going on. 
I think the only like it makes sense to have him sweaty because he's in a fire, so of course he's hot. He's he's perspiring. I th- I think part of it's also just to hide the fact that he's probably got that um, like fireproof gel all over him. Oh, because <laughs> he's literally laying in a bed that's on fire, and then the nightstand catches fire, and the fire's going up the wallpaper. Like you would never do this today. Which is a shame. It looks incredible. Yeah, with your star, like <laughs> yeah, no one would sign on to the do insurance it. for that. <laughs> it looks very dangerous, and it's the it's the the spectacle of movie making. Man, this used to be an art form. Now it's just marketing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that first vision when we're in the when we're in the fire bedroom is pretty great. Like we see the fire is just getting more and more intense. Like at first, like we've got a girl who's cowering. She's scared. The fire's bad but maybe controllable if somebody gets there soon but then like the fish tank starts to boil the fish tank (laughs) i do not like that that fucks everybody up when they see the fish boiling like they never had a chance they can't get out (laughs) no never mind the fact that there's this little girl who's definitely gonna die soon if no one else i mean great film language for conveying how hot it's getting in the room yeah yeah oh yeah no those poor fish yeah that's awful oh god i love the visions in this movie they're real good. And the one in the gazebo is great because that's where we like, and it's, it's the camera does such a great job of hiding this killer's face the whole time. Cause that's all we want to know. We just want to know who this killer is and we can hear his voice and yada yada. And he like, we're literally actively watching him murder this girl with a pair of scissors. And it isn't until like, she's finally dead that he like looks up to see if there's anybody around. And we notice that it's the sheriff's deputy. Who has mysteriously disappeared from yeah. the scene. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they got to go hunt him down. They find him back at his house where he's hiding out with his ma. And, uh, you know, that's just, this is where we get, like, a really cool, super spooky showdown. I love that nothing about this movie is simple. Like, everything is so complicated. Even, like, the mother of the deputy, like, that's complicated. Oh, yeah. Because Christopher Walken realizes that she knew. She knew what he was doing. And she was still, like, as a mother, protecting him. Like, it's... Just everything is so gray and so dark, and there's nothing easy about any anybody's lives or decisions in this movie. Oh, yeah. The inside of that house is truly a nightmare, which is nuts because he's just a cop. Like, he's just like a regular old sheriff's deputy. He drives the car. He blocks the traffic. He keeps people away from the crime scene. Like, he's just a nobody From character. his own crime scenes? From his own crime scenes. But the inside of his house is like Silence of the Lambs or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, it just nothing, it does not look like happiness lives there, you know? It's maybe not quite like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it does look like the inside of a serial killer's house. Yeah, I I, I got, like, the Frighteners vibes from it. I, 100%, right? Maybe it's because the mom as well, but, like... Yeah, definitely. Very Frighteners vibes. But truly, like, one of the scariest scenes of this whole movie. And it's, like, just... Not even a huge thing about the movie it just happens to be how this this side character serial killer decides to kill himself when he's found out. Oh, it's great. So he goes back home. He puts on the jacket, which we're seeing him we see him wear in the murder sequence. You know, the jacket's obviously a big part of what he does. I think it's his identity. He's putting his other identity oh, on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like visually, he has to wear cuz he has to be he has to be sane because he is putting on a cop outfit when he's not this murderer and he has to he has to pass as a yeah. as a a citizen of the town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's just great that he puts it on to kill himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, like, you can see his eyes change. He becomes a different person. This guy is in this movie. Like, screen time-wise? Six minutes. Probably less. <laughs> but he has a fucking arc! You know? Like, that's... Yeah. And, like, this is, like, end of chapter two of the, of the, <laughs> of the Dead Zone. This is season two. You could put what chapter titles finale. in this movie. Like, yeah. you could put, like, chapter one. The powers. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The ability. But he, he wedges the, the scissors uh, up against the like a book or a countertop in the tub, and we just see him put his hands behind his back and slowly lower his own mouth. Like, he opens his mouth wide, and mm. he's just lowering his face toward these scissors. And when they finally barge into the bathroom, thinking that he's in there with a gun, uh, we see that he has just jammed those fucking scissors into his goddamn brain through his nose and the roof of his mouth, and he's just convulsing and dying in the tub. It's gross and I think about that shot all the time it's just because it's so slow and so methodical yeah and it's like he probably thought about this a thousand times oh yeah this is what I'm gonna do when I get found out exactly yeah and and because he's constantly like he's flirting with his own capture every day he goes to work yeah yeah that's that's a hundred percent part of it he's holding the evidence bag of his cigarettes and he's giving them to a psychic who's Trying to find him specifically. That's that what, had to be constantly in his mind. Like, yep, I'm going to just do this, and then I won't have to deal with any of the repercussions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's That's what's fun about watching this for a second time, like when you know the outcome of everything, because he... They do such a great job. If if you're watching it again, you're like, oh, this guy's a little bit suspicious of what's going on because he knows he's the killer. Like, he's hoping that he's not going to discover something, that this guy's abilities are bullshit. But... When you watch it the first time, you think that's just him being like a skeptical deputy who's like, look at this fucking asshole and his bullshit. Mm. You know? It's good stuff. It's hard to say where, like, obviously the girlfriend is chapter one, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. the birth of the abilities and then the love of his life. That storyline is woven throughout every every bit of this. Um, She returns as much as the doctor does throughout the storyline. And in chapter two, before he decides that he's going to go uh, help the detectives find this serial killer, they have just an, a great Christmas together. Because he had, like, they were they were in love, they were young, they were going to get married. He gets into a car accident and is in a coma for five years. She, unfortunately, moves on. She's married. She has a kid. Well, I mean, she was probably given the the sad truth that there was maybe a likelihood he wasn't going to wake up. Oh, yeah. There was a likelihood he was going to wake up and not be the same person. Uh-huh. They were not expecting him to have full brain function. Like... She had to move on. And exactly, this is yeah. this is one of those tragedies where nobody is really the guilty party. Like, you can't be mad at her for moving on because they were so young. I'm sure that they were supposed to be their late 20s. Like, they're both starting their careers, starting their lives. And they really did love each other. They both saw getting married and being together forever. And it's like they were transported to a different universe. And when they spend that Christmas together, it's like they're hopping to the, the universe that could have been for yes, one day. for one day. It's like shaking the, the snow globe and looking inside. Yeah. 
It's so sad. Yeah, and they have Christmas dinner together. This is just after his mother's died, so it's him and his father alone in the house. He's there with this girl that he loves. There's a baby. like, it, it, And dad is like, oh, man, you know, it's, it's real nice to have a family around the dinner table again. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. It's, it's like, so sad. Like for a half a beat, it's, it's, it's one of those thoughts you have that as soon as you say it out loud, it just disappears. Like, you can't, you can't grab that thought, otherwise it's gone. Like, it only exists it's in the, the periphery they of your are, mind. That's the snow globe. You're is right. Them- Sitting no, I think around that was the, the table. perfect way to describe it. It's oh, it's so sad. It's like you awful. don't even need him to be a psychic and there to be murders and stuff. Like this movie is tragic enough to be like I'll put this in the horror genre. <laughs> this man is so sad. You know, there's a, he gets cool hair and a trench coat, but he loses everything else. I I never remember this any of the stuff with his mom. Because his, his mom's also deeply religious. He lost so much time with her. I know. So he comes back out of the coma, and shortly afterward, his mom dies. And he goes to see her, and this is very... I was chewing on my cheek for this scene. I was just, like, looking at everything but the TV. <laughs> well, And this is also after we've established that anytime that he touches somebody, he sees something. And he goes to see her, and he grabs her hands... And, you know, he cries and he kisses her. And when he looks up, she's dead. I'm only just having this thought now because, like, you would expect that he'd have some sort of moment of seeing when she would die. The fact that she's dying immediately. He's already in the scene. He's already in the scene. That's what I was going to ask. So do you think she was alive when he touched her hand? Like, or do you think he came in and he had a conversation with his mother who was already dead? Like, do you think- I mean, I think that's a great theory, but I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but so then this is another moment where you're just like, fuck, these characters are so well written because she says something f- like such a momism. You know, she's kind of not fully there and she's like, make sure you take your shoes off and don't track mud in the house. And you're just yeah. like, oh, God, stop punching me in the stomach heart. <laughs> This whole movie just like won't relent. It just like steps on your soul and will not give up for two hours. And like that's that's the great thing about it is that it does those things. <laughs> <laughs> but like those are the important beats that you maybe would forget about in a in a story where a person can see another person's death when they touch their hand. Like you immediately go to like saving kids from fires, from you know freak accidents on the lake, people being murdered, like solving crimes and murders. But like you don't think about. The moments with, like, a dying relative or uh, the love of your life that's gone. But it takes time to explore each of those. And, like, you, you like for this character in particular, each of the visions that he has means something bigger to him as we go on. You know, like, obviously, he's astounded that he can help save people's lives. But he's met with the he's he's met immediately with like the darkness that that brings. Well, at one point, like after he's kind of run away, he's moved he's moved away. He's trying to I think he's trying to just get away from being around you know the love of his life, having moved on. Like yeah. he's trying to just get away and and start fresh for himself. Yeah, he's telling himself it's so that way he can go somewhere where nobody knows who he is. But it's truly just. A place where she isn't. Exactly. Uh, And I think that's because he wouldn't be able to help himself. He wouldn't be able to keep her out of his life. Mm -hmm. But the doctor comes to visit him, and at one point they, like, open a closet, and you just see all of these letters. Like, people are writing to him like Santa Claus with their wishes and their hopes, and they want him to, like, unburden them. And he's just like, I can't live, I can't be that person. Mm -hmm. But he is that person. He. That's the thing. He is that person. 
And I think that's what's so interesting about the end of the movie. He realizes that he is that person because he's the only one who knows how awful this new this politician is who's running for Senate that's currently campaigning in his small town. He's your standard fear-mongering political guy who's he's got and he he has a great speech he's got multiple great speeches but he's just like he's a he's as apocalyptic as a fucking big tent church leader in the middle of a field somewhere like he's like you can't trust your neighbors like look at the guy next to you would you send him to the senate to represent you no you gotta send me like he's he's whipping these people into a frenzy and he's literally turning them against each other like he's turning a group of people who see seemingly agree with each other against each other and now he is their savior he's the only person that can prevent them from this awful vision of the future that he is selling them. i totally glaze over when politicians speak like i can't hear the words they're saying because well, it's not real no because it's just word salad like <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't mean anything it's just like oh this is all just data points that your handlers have figured out will get you the most votes like I just I can't I can't even listen to the words he's saying but like in terms of conveying that like he does such a great job oh, like, Martin Sheen's the guy he just he looks like him or like he looks like the, the politician he fits the bill he's wearing the shoes right I believe nothing of what he's saying and he looks like he has no soul behind his eyes but the scary thing is that there are tons of people who do right that is the fun thing about this like you this movie fun <laughs> yeah you, you could watch this movie any time in the last 40 years and you're like oh, I know exactly who that character this is this is so time. timely yeah you, you watch that movie in 20 50 years from now you're gonna be like oh so timely you know uh, that's it just never goes away and I think all the anguish that Christopher Walken's character experiences all the isolation like he just keeps digging himself a deeper and deeper hole every time he uses his powers. It pushes away people that he loves. It pushes away friends and connections that he's trying to make in a new place. He becomes more and more alone. Okay, so here's my day theory. by day, and that's what makes him the person that's able to assassinate this senator. Okay, so here's here's my theory, theory, theory. Stephen King, whenever he writes something, he always has to make up like some term for something that doesn't exist. Everything is like, you know, like the deadlights and everything's got to have a weird yeah. fucking poem about it. Some people love it. I think it's it's weird. Uh, the dead zone. Uh -huh. They explain it kind of weirdly in the film. I think it's kind of a bit of an afterthought. They're like, oh, we didn't really explain <laughs> the title or anything. And so they're like, oh, he's, you know what? Some of the vision I can't see. There's this dead zone where I, oh, it's space for me to change the future. Uh -huh. But what I think, what I'm interpreting the dead zone as is... This is kind of like a Carnival of Souls scenario. Everything's a Carnival of Souls scenario. Everything is a Carnival of Souls. <laughs> he he has woken up. He has survived this incident that very well could have killed him with this ability, but he's damned. Like he is you know, if you believe in fate, he's fulfilling this this sad tragic course until he can stop the man that's going to end the world. Yeah. Maybe that is the dead zone. Like, he is in this place where he's not dead, he's not alive, because he's not living a full life. You're saying that he was supposed to die in the car accident the same way that, and, and but is now living, even though he shouldn't, the same way that the doctor is talking about how he was never supposed to see his mother and his mother was never supposed to see him again. Exactly. Like, he he's not gifted a full life. Mm -hmm. He He's not living a full life. He's not a full human being. Things aren't able to go back the same because he's not that same person anymore. Yeah. Um, and he'll never be able to live a full life with human beings because 
what he's able to do is outside of the realm of human existence. Yeah. And so he's bound to be on this course. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, if this was a Clive Barker thing or something. He's in the dead zone. (laughs) Coming up next week on The Dead Zone. On the NBC Saturday Night Movie, The Dead Zone. Yeah, no, so it's like, it's almost as though in the split second before his death, he made some sort of bargain with the powers that be. Like, I just want to see, I just want to see Sarah again. It's like, we will let you, but it will cost, you know, and like the price is unrepayable, you know, like whatever. Like he, The devil's like, you must kill Hitler. Why has it got to be the devil? <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Like, we'll bring you back, but you got to do us one favor. You do need to kill 21st century Hitler. <laughs> the scene where he sees the vision and... We're doing like the the push in the button thing. Yeah, it's such a dark scene. Oh, absolutely! It's so and it's it's done in such a a great way because um, he's in his fucking pajamas. Well, yeah, and you know you know everything about the scene. Like you know where he's the president now. You can kind of just gather from so little um, so little words and evidence. I'm sure primarily it's a budgetary thing. Like how are we going to convey the president at wherever it is, Camp David or wherever he vacations. Like, how are we going to be able to convey that with the budget we have? Like, we can't replicate the White House. We can't can't do anything huge. But you immediately gather what's going on in that scene. Oh, yeah. And the gravity of that scene. And we know that it's several, several. I mean, it seems like it's decades later almost like everybody has gray hair paint everybody's got gray hair paint they got that uh they got that latex whatever rice paper stuff they put on their skin to make them look like they got some extra wrinkles it's just latex he's in it's latex he's in rich people pajamas he's uh he's still got his like he's weird, in his silk pajamas he's still got like his weird henchman with him who's clearly just like filling out every dark deed that he needs now there is also receding hairline on him the presidential seal behind him uh but yeah it, just, it was the pajamas that sold it for it's me. the pajamas and, and people saying Mr. President. (laughs) That that might be part of it. But yeah, the darkest part about that is that it's clearly, it's the middle of the night, and he says that he had a dream, he had a vision of of his legacy and his future, and god damn it, we gotta just wake up and we gotta do this now. Like, it seems like there's no cause. Like, unprovoked? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely preemptive. Like, it's definitely not a a response to anything. Yeah, and he strong arms this fucking guy into pushing the button. Like, he basically says, like, either you put your hand on that goddamn scanner or I'll cut it off and I'll do it without you. Uh, and this guy's a coward, so he just goes ahead and puts his hand on there, even though he definitely knows like, that it's going to lead to the God death of the God help our souls. Yeah, right? Uh, and after he pushes the button, Martin Sheen, Mr. President, goes outside and, like, his entire staff is there. Like, the, you know, somebody from the military, somebody from the foreign press desk, I don't know who the fuck else, like, whoever, whoever's in the cabinet, that like, the entourage that surrounds the, the president. The person that calls NATO. <laughs> yeah, there's like, uh, Mr. President, we have some diplomatic solutions that will really solve this, we don't need any sort of, like, you know, I don't know, rash decision making, he's like, don't worry, man, the missiles are already flying, welcome to the future, you're like, fuck, it's all over, <laughs> there's nothing we can do, oh, man, that's great, uh, it's, it's, it's an awesome little moment, and I know that you're saying there's, like, budgetary restrictions, I don't know, it might have been a fucking choice, because they definitely didn't skimp on budget when they were like, fuck it, we're in World War II now, there's That's so tanks, true, they did bombs. go to World War II. And it might have even just been a choice, like, if we gotta choose which one of these to go for, let's go with the World War II one, because it's so early in the movie that you're shocked that it's happening. You're like, oh, fuck, we're in, like, Saving Private Ryan right now. It's nuts. 
but yeah. it's, it is also so cool when you when you say that, that there was this huge war sequence and then the scene where he goes to like the final rally where he's gonna you know shoot the the, the man that's gonna end the world he breaks into a window at a courthouse in Niagara on the Lake which is where we always park our car <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's just that's just having like a deep knowledge of some of the filming locations though but yeah it is fun <laughs> if the camera had it just moved 10 centimeters to the side you would have seen like a actual parking like lot. that's where we park <laughs> Because it's close to the bar we like. It's close to the bar we like. That has a fun ghost story. You guys got to go check out the Old Angel Inn. They have their own beers on tap, and they're all great. Uh, one of them might have been brewed by a ghost. <laughs> There's also a statue. Of, yeah, don't lift the leaf. <laughs> There's a statue of David in the girl's bathroom. If you lift the leaf, an alarm will go off, and the entire bar knows that you wanted to look at that dude's wiener. <laughs> it's pretty great. Did I tell you the one time, I may have said this on the podcast one time, that I was in there washing my hands, and a woman... Um, she just flipped it on her way out and she ran out. Because <laughs> she wanted people like, to think it was you. Yeah, and I was like, I can't leave the bathroom now. You gotta wait for eight more people to come in. <laughs> Good on her. <laughs> she was just like, hee hee. <laughs> That's gonna be you. <laughs> like, you're gonna do that again to somebody oh, else. Oh yeah, when, I'm, when I'm 16, I can get away with it? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. I love the end of this movie. Because he doesn't, this is this is this is just movie stuff, right? Because he does have to he does have to die a hero. At the very least end the movie as a hero. And in his own eyes, if he had a shot Martin Sheen in the head and just put his fucking brains against the wall, he would know that he's a hero. The entire world would demonize him. Yeah, because the assassinated who could have been the greatest politician of our time. Yeah. And that's what that's the thing the other thing I love about this movie is that he's not a senator running for president. He is like a local politician who's running for senator. And he's a third party candidate. He's yeah. not of the main two parties. No. And so, I'm sure I'm sure you've all got some, some experience with third party <laughs> candidates like Martin Sheen in this movie. We got one up here in Canada right now that's just fucking kooky. But um and actually got votes, which is even scarier. Don't don't worry about it's it. It's scary. Look, the future is unwritten. Okay, <laughs> and I really want to lean on that here, but but he doesn't kill him. He shoots, he misses, and then Martin Sheen, like the coward that he is, grabs a fucking baby to shield himself from bullets. A photographer captures that. It goes on the front newspaper. Well, because as as Christopher Walken is dying, he holds Martin Sheen's hand again, and. He sees that he's ruined from that photo. He's on like the cover of Time magazine, covering himself with a baby from an, a would-be assassination. Yep, yep. And like that's it's the delivery of information in this movie that's so great too. Like we don't know that that's an ability he has, like to change the future, and then to also confirm that it changes until the the skating rink accident with the hockey kids, because he. Well, I mean, he does save that little girl. I guess he doesn't see her die. He just sees her room on fire. He might see her die. They just. Probably don't put it on film, right? Um, but after after he's he's leaving when he's a, when he's about to leave after he's leaving, you mean dying? You mean exiting the building? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking the uh, heartbeat. I'm talking about the hockey player kid. Oh, I was just gonna do this as a, as a take two and edit it out. I'm sorry, but no, he grabs the hockey player. Elvis kids. has left the building. He grabs his hand and he sees that he lives. Like he sees that he goes on and he like gets an award. Like he has a good life. I think if I'm not wrong i think that's he sees him at like a graduation ceremony yeah having a grand old time yeah because the kid's like i'm not fucking going skating now yeah it's like it's not actually his 
uh, I mean, partly it's, 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 you know, him scaring him that stopped him from going, but he's able to confirm that the future has changed. And that's where he talks to the doctor about the dead zone. And the dead zone is just this gap where things don't, the connective tissue is not a hundred percent there. He's seeing a, a glimpse, a glimmer of the, of what the future could be if nobody does anything about it. This week on the dead zone. Yeah. And that's something that I want everybody to hold on to going into 2024, okay? Oh, now, are you, you giving now, us a, a message to I, go out on? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, uh, if if we were writing down Beat's talking points, yeah, this is John's pep talk, John's apocalyptic pep talk for 2024, okay? we Eat the donuts. Eat the, sure, eat the donuts, whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, we have done, not that we're trying to scare you or anything, but like, yeah, the last two episodes have been fun. We're talking about different types of apocalypses. Kim and I are not religious, so we're not exactly worried about an end-of-day scenario where, like, the devil's gonna come and bring about the Antichrist, and that's gonna be the end of the world, but, like, there's a large chunk of the population that does genuinely fear that happening. Uh, I think a lot of people are worried about nuclear fallout and just- I- I am after the pre-show you made me watch before this before we watched this fucking movie. I needed to get you in the right headspace where you know, like that sort of Damocles thing, where it's just like it could happen at any. He moment. played this faux nuclear war <laughs> broadcast warning on like NBC. It was so fucking chilling. Yeah, it's scary. It still exists. We still live in that possibility today. And you, you know, even just like when we used to live in Toronto, like living basically right next door to the nuclear power And they give plant. you your fucking iodine pills or yeah. like, take these so your glands in- don't implode. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna melt if you take, well, you won't melt as fast if you take these pills. All I'm saying is that we got another year ahead of us and it's probably gonna be just as bleak and stark as every other year we've ever had. It's going to be a bad year for misinformation. It's going to, like, truly, if you think that the last three years have Our been news, bad. Canadian news isn't even allowed on social media anymore. I don't even know they're anything. F- they're fixing that a little bit. I think Google has struck a deal with the Canadian government. We're getting our news back. <laughs> uh, but it still doesn't show up on Facebook. Anyway, um... If you think misinformation's been bad, it's going to only get worse when an election comes. AI is getting stronger and stronger every day. John, you're not biggest... being reassuring. I'm just... What is this? What I'm... Two hours later. The frogs are running the world and there's nothing we can do to stop them. Birds except... aren't real. Yeah. <laughs> Ten hours later. All, all I really want, all I'm really getting at is that everybody, Stop! <laughs> everybody out there is trying to sell you a vision of what the future's gonna look like, and you currently, right now, as a human being, I feel on like this I'm planet, at the end of Scrooge right now, where you're talking to the projector. <laughs> a little bit, but like we all live in the dead zone. Nothing has actually happened. Don't fall into the fear. <laughs> okay, so the end of the movie. Uh, as he's dying, the weirdest thing about it is that Sarah is there because she happens to be campaigning for him. She's handing out his buttons or whatever. He invites her on stage because she has a baby and that's great optics. She has no idea why he's killed this uh, politician. No, not at all. She has no idea what's happening, but she's just like, oh, Johnny, you're dying and I still love you kind of. But like, why did you assassinate that man? You don't think there's a beat in her mind where she's like, he probably had a good reason to do it. I'm sure she will be able to put it together one night after a lot of wine like in tears and be like he was probably bad guy yeah because he did have the shinning (laughs) he had the shinning (laughs) but if you watch that entire sequence from her perspective it's probably a lot of just like what the fuck is happening i mean if you watch it yeah 100 percent. she should not have been there i think i don't even think she necessarily believed this politician i think her husband i think so as well 
which is really unfortunate. But, like, campaigning looks fun. Like, you look like you're part of a, com- a community. Like, That's buttons what they and tap stickers into. Yeah. And, and ragtime bands. And, and ragtime bands. The most the most sinister music He had, there like, is. a popcorn truck with, like, candy apples and shit. Like, Don't get bought by a candy apple, guys. I, I will get bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, The Dead Zone. Good fucking movie. Tragic as all hell. And a movie that kind of shouldn't work. Like, it doesn't follow the beats that you would expect for a regular movie. Nowadays, the politician would beat would also be the serial killer. Like, that would be the big surprise finish of the movie. Mm. And then it's like, how do we stop him? He's got diplomatic immunity, blah, 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 blah. Like, we, we, we get him sort of, like, stomping a reporter down uh, in the middle of the movie, who is uh, the telephone operator in Black Christmas. Oh, sweet. Is also like the the big like kind of like secretly maybe the big bad guy in Videodrome. He did a great short film with. So a Canadian guy. So a Canadian guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, are we good to rate this movie, or do you have more emotions you need to get? (laughs) I like this movie a lot. I think it's great. I think. Oh, I didn't mean about the movie. I just meant about existence. Oh no, I know, and I think we maybe it'd be a good idea to revisit this movie every four years or so. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think I uh, I think I'm gonna give the Dead Zone. A four out of four. Yeah, I'm going to give... Oh, do I want to give it a full four? I'm going to give it a three and a half out of four. That's respectable. It's a really good movie. Yeah. And it it does really work on so many levels. And it's just like all of the characters are so well written. And it's snowy. Yeah. I love... I just love the David... David Cronenberg is never interested in the most obvious part of a story. And he does a great job of exploring the weirder parts of things and like the stuff that gets forgotten. I mean, I think... You know, body horror is is what he's definitely known for mostly, but uh, this is undeniably a David Cronenberg movie without being super body horror. It's like a psychological body horror, I guess. You know, like we deal with like the the transformation and the ramifications of this guy with his abilities. I mean, um, he does have a cane. <laughs> he does have a cane, but yeah, this is I I think one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations of all time for sure. I'm gonna agree. Like it's definitely now up there in my Cronenberg movies too. I was like, yeah. is this maybe my new favorite Cronenberg film? Like I do really like Dead Ringers just because Jeremy Irons is so cool. Yes. Uh, but this is up there, maybe number two. Yeah, it's it's got some incredible sequences, awesome cinematography, killer score, and a fun kooky performance from Christopher Walken. He nails it though. Yeah. But that's just our opinion, guys. Let us know what you thought of The Dead Zone. Hit us up in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord at nofspodcast.com slash discord. Chat with your fellow fiends about horror movies. And let us know where this falls in your David Cronenberg rankings. If you want even more Nightmare on Film Street content, consider supporting us on Patreon. There are a ton of bonus series. We also do a monthly watch party where we get together and chat about a weird, wild movie. John does his pre-show programming, which is also weird and wild. Uh, that is at patreon.com slash nightmare on film street or nofspodcast.com slash fiend club. We'll be back again next Thursday with another episode that is definitely not going to give you an existential crisis. I promise that is not what we necessarily do here. This was not an episode for you to recommend to your friends. This episode was just for you. Every other episode we do is evergreen and, you know, just... And free from any sort of bullshit you might be going through uh, any other day of the week. Uh, It's just a fun free-wielding conversation about horror movies and how much we love them. Until next time! Until next time! I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. creepy! It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. 
More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Thank <laughs> you.